0: Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to understand your truth. Father, I pray that as we open the text of Scripture, you would encourage us and mold us and shape us more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and open to Matthew chapter 6. We need to go ahead and jump into this this morning because we've got a lot to cover. This is week 10 of our sermon series that we've entitled Upside Down. It's a study through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And we've called it upside down because we believe that based on the teaching of the Word of God in the Sermon on the Mount, everything that Christ calls us to do is upside down from what the world says we ought to do. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you should look different than the rest of the world. And if you're living your life trying to conform to what the world says you ought to be, Trying to act the way the world says you ought to act, you're missing the truth of the Word of God. Now, I have uh, encountered at this point my second regret in this sermon series. My first regret was when we began with the Beatitudes. I had the intent of preaching the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the merciful. I intended to preach those in one week, but as I began to study, I realized there's no possible way I can preach them in one week. So I broke it into two weeks, but as I studied even more, my first regret was I should have took a lot more weeks to preach the Sermon on the Mount, to preach the Beatitudes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. That was regret number one. Regret number two is I should have allotted a lot more than one week to study our passage today, because we're going to talk about the Lord's Prayer, kind of the heart and soul of the Sermon on the Mount as it relates to prayer, and I wish we had about four or five weeks to do that. So our study this morning is going to be kind of that 30,000 foot big picture view and we're going to zoom past it because we don't have a lot of time to get into the details, but I want to encourage you, it's an incredible part of scripture. You should spend time reading it and studying it and even more important than that, applying it to your life. Now last week in verses 5, 6, 7 and 8 of Matthew chapter 6, we studied three principles of prayer. And we said these principles are foundational to where we're going to go and where we're going to move and in our understanding of prayer. And the three principles we saw last week were, number one, pray often. Number two, pray personally and intimately to the Lord. And number three, pray in faith. There's this sense that we ought to be praying on a regular basis. Christ says, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray. It's not if you pray. It's not we hope you pray. It's not one day when you get enough time, pray. But when you pray, do it like this. We see that we should pray intimately and personally. We need to go into our prayer closet or into a room, as Christ says, close the door and pray to the Lord who hears in secret. It's not about making a big deal in front of people. It's about spending time with the Lord privately and personally. And then thirdly, we talked about praying in faith. When you pray to the Lord, you ought to do it in such a way that you believe He's going to answer your prayers. We shouldn't waste our time praying, not believing the Lord is going to speak to us and answers the prayer, answer the prayers that we've petitioned him with. Now, last week was a general picture of prayer, some general guidelines. This week, we're going to look at a specific model of prayer that Christ gives us. It's become known as the Lord's Prayer. And so we're going to read it, Matthew chapter 6, beginning of verse 9. I think we have it on the screen as well. Many of you will know it by heart, but I'm going to read it to you. Jesus has now given us general guidelines in the first few verses. And then verse 9, the words of Christ. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation... But deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now there's an awful lot of truth we can pull from this. And we're going to divide this into six major areas and six major truths that we're going to discuss. But the one I'm going to give you first, I believe, is foundational to all the others. In fact, the way Jesus begins this model prayer and the way he commands us to begin prayer is foundational as we move forward. And here's truth number one you need to understand. Our prayers must first acknowledge who God is. Our prayers must first acknowledge who God is. Now there's a very interesting division in this prayer. In fact, you can divide it very neatly into two different sections, and I think we have those to pull up. Verses 9 and 10 speak of God's glory. It's all to the Lord. Holy is your name. We'll see all these in a minute. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth and in heaven. Lord, it's all about you. It's about your glory. It's about your honor. It's about your power. It's about what you want first. Now, beginning in verse 11, our needs. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts or our sins. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Well, there's this very interesting division. The first part of this prayer is all about the Lord and His power and glory and what He desires. Second to that, we find that we now ask for our desires and what we need. So here's the foundational truth that should guide us in our prayers. Our focus, first and foremost in our prayers, must always be the Lord. The Lord. It must always be His glory, it must always be His honor, it must always be His power. We need to begin with who He is before we ever move into what we need. I think that's upside down from the way most of us pray. My suspicion would be, and I'm basing it simply on how I pray, my suspicion is we begin our prayers with exactly what we need the Lord to do for us. Lord, I need you to do these three or four things. I want you to help this person, heal this person, do this with my job. Now, the Lord wants us to petition him. The Lord wants us to pray to him and let him know our needs. But if we're beginning our prayers with what we want, before we're acknowledging who God is, we're missing the model that Christ gives us. Jesus doesn't say, begin with everything you need and then finish up thanking the Lord for who he is. Jesus says, you begin with who the Lord is. And then you move into what you need. One scholar said it like this. The first half of the prayer thus focuses exclusively on God and His agenda as believers adore, worship, and submit to His will before they introduce their own personal petitions. So we begin by reminding the Lord and thanking the Lord for who He is. Now look at verse 9. Jesus gives us a couple of interesting ideas here. This is how you should pray, and he kind of gives us a, 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 a two sections here. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now he's speaking, first of all, about the Lord. And he calls them by a couple of names, or he calls them in reference to a couple of different names. The first is Father. He speaks to the Lord as Father. There's this personal, intimate relationship between God our Father and us. There's this sense here that he's close enough that we can have a conversation with him. He's intimate enough that he knows our needs. He's personal enough that we can pray to him and literally pour out our hearts and let him know exactly what the world is doing and exactly how we need him to work. So we have this intimate personal relationship by calling him father, but immediately Jesus reminds us that he's in heaven. So there's this sense that he's the all-powerful creator. What an interesting dynamic. What an interesting couple of ideas. He's an intimate, personal God, yet he's the creator of the universe. Here's what that means for you. The most powerful being in the universe that created all things loves you enough that he wants a personal relationship with you, and he wants you to pray to him for your needs. That's the picture we see here in this scripture. Now, I think this is very important for us to understand because when we begin by understanding who the Lord is, when we begin by understanding his power and his glory and his majesty, it puts us in the right frame of mind to move forward in our prayers. And here's the frame of mind we ought to pray. Here's the frame of mind we ought to have He is God, and we are not. Lord, you're holy and powerful and almighty and merciful and glorious, and I'm not. You're the creator of the universe. You're the giver of life. You're the sustainer of all good things. You're the author and perfecter of my salvation, Lord, and I am not. And when we recognize God's power and God's glory first, it does a couple of things for us. Number one, it forces us to understand that because of who God is, his concerns take precedent over ours. If he's the creator of the universe wouldn't you say that what he wants is more important than what you want? If he's the author and perfecter of faith and salvation, wouldn't you believe that what he says and what he desires is more important than what you say and what you desire? If he sits on his throne as the sovereign, holy, merciful, glorious God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, don't you think that what he decrees to happen and what he says ought to happen is more important than what you think ought to happen? So we need to put ourselves in a right frame of mind of who he is to recognize that his precedent, His concerns take precedent over ours. But here's the second thing that happens when we recognize his power. When we recognize his power and his glory and his holiness, we trust him enough to answer our prayers, don't we? Lord, you're the creator of all things. You're the sustainer of all things. You're the author and perfecter of my faith and my salvation. I trust you that you're going to work in my life. So let's kind of boil this down, let's, let's simplify this, let's, let's put some feet to this and let's understand what this might look like. Here's the simplified version. When you pray, you need to begin by thanking God for all he is, Lord, thank you that you're all-powerful, I acknowledge that. Thank you that you are the creator. Praise your name that you are holy. Praise your name that you are powerful. Praise your name that you are glorious, Praise your name for who you are. You need to be thinking about those things and focusing on things and recognizing those things as you begin your prayers. Because when we do that, when we begin to realize and understand and recognize who the Lord is, it puts us in the proper frame of mind to move forward with our prayers. A.W. Pink, a noted theologian from some years back, said it like this. This petition necessarily comes first. For the glorifying of God's great name is the ultimate end of all things. All other requests must be subordinate to this one and be in pursuance of it. We cannot pray aright unless the glory of the Lord be dominant in our desires. I just want to encourage you as you move forward understanding this model of prayer. Start your prayers by acknowledging the Lord, by acknowledging his power, his glory, his holiness. Now, verse 10. Christ says, as he prays to the Lord, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, or holy is your name, verse 10, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's the second truth we need to understand. Number two, we pray for God's kingdom to come on this earth. We pray for God's kingdom to come on this earth. Now let me just kind of help you understand this, because when we begin to talk about the kingdom of God, some people are confused. They don't understand exactly what we mean by the kingdom of God. If you were taking notes or writing some things in your Bible, you could write this. Kingdom of God equals the reign of God. When we talk about the kingdom of God, we're talking about his reign and his power and his majesty and his glory being evidenced here on this earth. You say, great, so we're supposed to pray in our prayers, first of all, for his glory and his power and his majesty, then we're to pray that his kingdom would come on this earth. But what kind of kingdom are we talking about? When I say the word kingdom, are we talking about a political kingdom? Or are we talking about a military kingdom? What sort of a kingdom are we talking about? The people of the first century, the Jewish people in particular, that followed Christ around and were witness to his miracles and all the things that he did had one sort of kingdom in mind. In fact, when they followed Jesus and saw his power and his majesty and his glory and the miracles that he was able to uh, create and the things that he was able to do, they wanted to install him as a political military ruler. And so you see some very interesting examples uh, in Scripture. And if you're not aware of what they're trying to do, you may kind of miss these things. For example, after Jesus had finished feeding the 5,000, the people had seen this miracle and what he was capable of doing. We read in John 6... 14 and 15, after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, that's the feeding of the 5,000, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Now watch this. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. He understood they wanted to make him king. They wanted to establish him as the rightful ruler of the Jewish people. They wanted him to be a political and a military power to defeat the Romans and reestablish the Jewish people over the kingdom of Israel as they believed it should be. We see the same sort of thing in the triumphal entry. Jesus comes into Jerusalem for the final time in his life. They're waving the palm branches, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There's this sense here that they believed, at least some of these Jews, that Jesus was entering Jerusalem so he could become the king of the Jewish people. But here's the problem with that mindset. Christ didn't come to be a military ruler. Christ didn't come to be a political ruler. Christ came instead to be a spiritual ruler. So his kingdom is not military. His kingdom is not political. His kingdom is spiritual. So when we pray for God's kingdom to come, what we're praying for is that His honor and His glory and His majesty and His power would be known throughout this earth. God's kingdom to come to this earth. But here's the important thing you need to understand. If the Lord's kingdom is going to reign on this earth... If His glory and honor and majesty and holy are going to be known to the nations, it's only going to happen as we, followers of Jesus Christ, take it to the world. The kingdom of the Lord is going to be established by us. That means we've got a very clear call to spread the kingdom of the Lord and His power and His glory throughout the world. The way that we live will demonstrate to the world exactly who we are and most importantly, exactly who He is. One writer said it like this. We pray now for God's kingdom. He said it's a prayer that we, His servants, would be faithfully obedient and effective in living his kingdom principles in our own lives. And then spreading the kingdom through our actions and words. If you want to know and understand why the kingdom of the Lord isn't spreading. Why the reign of the Lord isn't spreading. Why his glory isn't known to the nations. You have no farther to look than in, the, in your own mirror. Because if we're going to do anything about it. If it's going to happen it's got to be done through followers of Jesus Christ. This week was a great week for our students, and and you may have noticed the cars when you came in this morning, or the fact that most of our students are not in this service. They're D-Now this weekend, Disciple Now, something our church has been doing for a number of years, and if you're not familiar with D-Now, it's basically the kids of the youth group show up on Friday afternoon, soon as school's out. They spend Friday night, all day Saturday, Saturday night, they come back to church, and all through the weekend, they're having Bible studies, and they're doing service projects, and they're... Praying together and studying together, and they're having a good time in the middle of doing all that. But I was out in my backyard Sunday, uh, Saturday afternoon, doing some work. I was building a little something for the house, and I was kind of covered in sawdust. And I was cutting, I had my miter saw out, and then my kids were in the back playing, and they were swinging. and It was a beautiful afternoon, as I'm sure many of you enjoy. And all of a sudden, my kids started yelling at me, "Daddy, there's somebody walking up our driveway." Well, if you're like me, and, and I hate that my mind goes here, I thought Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> Here we go. Now, I had a conversation with him a few weeks ago, and it was a good conversation on my end, but I was not in the frame of mind at that very moment to have that conversation. So I reluctantly kind of walked around the side of the house, and I looked at it. At the end of my driveway, and walking up towards my house are students from Rosemont Baptist Church, about five or six of them. And I said, wow, what a neat surprise. I said, what are you guys doing? We're prayer walking your community. We're praying for the houses of your neighborhood. You want to talk about conviction? I've never prayer walked my neighborhood. And I spent just a few minutes talking to those kids about what they were doing. And they said, yeah, we, went, we, we already covered this street behind you. And we went to some houses and knocked on some doors and asked them, is there anything we could pray for you about? Is there anything we can do for you? Can we help you in any way? I, I talked to Phil last night who was with a group of those boys in another neighborhood. And he said, those kids blew me away with what they wanted to do. He said, I kind of envisioned them walking down the street. This was middle school boys, right? Being goofy and acting like middle school boys. You expect them to act. He said they went to house after house and they wanted to ask people, what can we pray for you about? How can we help you? How can we serve you? And I thought, you know, this is a picture of God's kingdom. This is a picture of spreading his glory and spreading his power and spreading his mercy and his love and his service to the world. So as, as we pray and we understand this model, we need to be praying that the kingdom of the Lord would come into this world, into our society, into our neighborhood, and we're going to do it by the way we live our lives for Christ. Do you understand that? When we pray for his kingdom to come, we're praying for our life to be different. We're praying, Lord, allow me to live upside down in front of the world so you'll reign. Allow, allow me to live upside down so people will notice a difference in my heart. Allow me to live upside down so people will see me and want to know what I've got that they don't have. So we pray and acknowledge the Lord for who he is, number one. Number two, we pray for his kingdom to come. Now look at verse 10 again. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name, verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's the third truth. We need to pray for God's will to be done. Now let me just make this as clear as I possibly can before we move forward. We're not praying for your will or my will. We're praying for the Lord's will. And trust me when I tell you, if you don't already know this, oftentimes those are vastly different. (laughs) Now Christ is our example, and I, I love the example of Christ because we see within Christ this struggle as he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane. Many of you remember the story Jesus has already willingly walked to Jerusalem. He's explained to his disciples what's about to happen. He knows full well what he's about to experience, what he's about to go through. He goes into the Garden of Gethsemane just moments before he's going to be arrested, tried, persecuted, beaten, and crucified. And we read in Luke twenty two forty two, Father, this is Jesus speaking, If you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Even in the midst of certain death and anguish and pain and suffering, Father, I'm willing to do what you've called me to do, not what I want to do. I think this part of the teaching and this part of the model is so important for us because I feel like, and again, I'm speaking for myself here, so many of our prayers revolve around what we want. So much of our praying revolves around what we want to happen. So much of our prayer is about our desires and our will, but if we're not careful, if we don't spend time studying and understanding what Christ says, we'll miss this truth that as we pray, we're praying for the Lord's will. You say, Great, I get that. I'm supposed to pray for the Lord's will to be done in my life, but here's the question I have for you, Adam. Here's the struggle I have What's the Lord's will for my life? <laughs> I'm supposed to pray for the Lord's will, and yet I'm not really sure what the Lord's will is for my life. Well, this is one of these areas, as I mentioned earlier in the sermon, that I feel like we could take many weeks on. In fact, that may be an upcoming series I need to preach through. How do I know the Lord's will for my life? Because there's so many different areas of Scripture that speak clearly about this. But let me point you to one in particular. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read it to you. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 will be familiar to so many of you. Paul, speaking to the church in Rome, says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your, offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform <coughs> excuse me. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then now watch this, this is important then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, there's this kind of simple model in here. If you want to know the will of God, don't conform to the world. Instead, transform your mind by the studying of His Word. So if you want to understand the Lord's will for your life, spend time reading His Word. Spend time in prayer asking for His will. Spend time memorizing and seeking the Lord where He may be found. Because here's the secret about the Lord's will. He's not trying to hide it from you. He's not trying to sneak around in heaven and whisper behind your back. You know how kids, they like to keep secrets from each other? You ever seen a group of kids when they've got a secret? If you have little children, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When they know something that nobody else does and they tell the secret, it brings incredible joy to them that you don't know the secret, right? So they're whispering. They tell the secret and then there's there's this joy, this euphoria. They just told something that you don't know, right? They've told this secret to somebody and you don't know what it is. It's not like that with the Lord. The Lord's not whispering to the angels, right, and the elders around the throne, secrets of your will, and he's laughing at you because you don't know it. That's not what the Lord's doing. The Lord wants you to know his will, and you say, great, how am I supposed to find it out? We're going to see here in a few weeks, but Matthew 7, 7, 8 is so clear. Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. If you'll just spend time studying and praying and seeking and asking, you'll know the Lord's will for your life. It's interesting to me when I have the conversation with somebody about a major decision in their life. They don't usually phrase it like this, like, what's the Lord's will for my life? But they say, I'm just struggling with this decision. I I don't know what I need to do. And as I delve in a little bit more and we talk a little more frankly about their life, I recognize they hadn't spent a whole lot of time in study of the word. They haven't spent a whole lot of time in prayer. They haven't spent a whole lot of time seeking the Lord. Instead, what they've done is they've worried about what they should do, and they're frustrated that they don't know. The Lord says, if you'll just seek me, if you'll just ask, you'll know my will. Part of that's the prayer. Lord, your will be done. Help us to understand what you would have me to do. Help us to understand. Help me understand the direction you'd have me to go. Help me to know how to make decisions that bring you honor and to bring you glory. But this is difficult for us for one very simple reason. It's difficult for us to ask the Lord's will in our life because we're very selfish, aren't we? We have this desire to do what we want to do. I just imagine if I kind of had this magic wand or, you know, the old story, if you had three wishes, what my three wishes would be? They'd probably be awfully selfish, wouldn't they? We like to think we'd ask for world peace, but I got a feeling if I just had three wishes, that may not be one of them. We want what we want. We live in the flesh, and if we're not careful, our prayers become what we want and what we desire. But Christ says you need to understand this model. You need to pray and seek the Lord's will. You need to seek the Lord's guidance. You need to understand that when you choose to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you're setting aside everything you want to do and all your hopes and all your desires and all your wishes, and instead you're replacing them with God's desires and God's wishes and God's hopes. Matthew 16, 24 says this, Jesus speaking to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must, now here's a very difficult word for us to fathom in our society, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Everything about living for Christ means we set aside what we want to do in favor of what he wants us to do. But here's the beautiful thing about prayer. Here's the beautiful thing about seeking his will Here's the beautiful thing about doing what he's called us to do. The more you spend time in the word of God, the more you pray, the more you seek, the more you ask. His desires become your desires. You understand that? For some of you may never have experienced that, but I can promise you there's a joy unspoken and unbelievable when you have spent great amounts of time in prayer and the Lord begins to change your heart towards him. When you wake up one day and you realize that all the things that you want are the same things that he wants. And at that moment you're praying that his will be done in your life. So we've seen, we're to acknowledge God and his power and his glory. We're to pray for his kingdom to come. We're to pray for uh, uh, his will to be done in our lives on earth as it is in, uh, in, in heaven, so the scripture says. Now I just want to remind you something before we move to our next point here. And we're going through these very quickly. Again, I told you at the beginning this was going to be kind of the 30,000-foot view. But we've already spent about 20 minutes talking through this and studying through this. We have not one time yet come to the point in the prayer where you get to ask what you want. I just think that's awfully important for us to remember. Again, speaking for myself, a lot of times in my prayer, I just jump right into what I need. That's not the model. Spend time acknowledging the Lord. Spend time thanking Him. Spend time just even kind of just sitting and meditating on His power and His glory. That's, for me, that's what worship is really about. When we sit in here and we sing these songs and we, we sing through Scripture, or we sing through the truth that we see on the screens and the words of these songs, I try to meditate and think through His glory and His power. I think through his holiness and his majesty and who he is and what he's accomplished and all he's given me. That's how our prayer ought to begin. It moves into praying for his kingdom. It moves into praying for his will. And then finally, after we spend all this time acknowledging him, asking for his will, we move into verse 11. It's very interesting because this is the only point in this scripture where we ask for something tangible. The other two things we're going to ask for in just a few minutes are spiritual. But I want you to listen to what verse 11 says. Give us today. It's the first time we get that we ask for something. Give us today our daily bread. Here's truth number four. We pray that God will provide for our basic needs. Now, if you're taking notes, you ought to underline the word "basic" because I want to give you a hard truth about prayer. The Lord is going to give us what we need, not always what we want. Now, sometimes He will. Sometimes he blesses us in ways we can't even imagine. and something that maybe we did desire he gives to us and he blesses us. But he never promises us to give us what we want. He promises to give us what we need. Now it's interesting to me because this verse doesn't say, give us today an awful lot of money so we can buy what we want to buy. Give us today all the material possessions. Give us today power and fame. Lord, give us today all the things that we want. Instead, it gives us kind of the simplest thing we could ask for to sustain us physically in this world, bread. Not even a really nice meal. Just give us some bread, Lord. Give us this day our daily bread. Simply stated, Lord, meet our needs. Now, it's a very easy thing for us to pray, but I would argue in the society that we lived in, because of the prosperity that we experience, it's a very difficult thing for us to actually pray. We may thank the Lord for our bread, we may thank the Lord for our food, but when's the last time we spent great amounts of time in prayer asking Him to really give it to us? See, I believe that the prosperity we live in is both a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because the Lord has given us so many things that we don't have to worry. We don't have to be in want of anything. That is an absolute blessing. And I'm not trying to minimize that. Please don't misunderstand me. But it becomes a curse because we have so much, we don't have to rely on the Lord again for anything. We don't have to rely on Him. Why do I really need to pray for food when I can just go to the refrigerator and get anything I want? I mean, I don't have to waste my time and pray. I'm just going to go up in the fridge. Why do I need to pray for food when I can just go to the pantry and eat anything I want to eat? Why do I need to waste my time in prayer when I can just go to the grocery store and buy whatever I want to buy? Why do I need to waste my time in prayer when I just go to the restaurant, sit down and order any meal I want to eat? See, we've been blessed by so many things, we're no longer begging the Lord to provide for us. The blessing has almost become the curse. But it's interesting to me, if you kind of look back, even over the last few weeks, how our dependency is something we may not always recognize. Think back to the ice storm just a few weeks ago. Now, I realize it was bad for our area. I get that. But it was, what, three days, maybe two days, depending on how, how much ice you wanted to drive in. And yet, if you went to the grocery store the day before that thing hit, it was as if we had to survive for three years without the grocery store being open. Right? Everything was gone. Every, I saw pictures people had posted on Facebook of the bread aisle at Walmart. No bread. The only bread's real healthy stuff that nobody buys, even in the last resort. Right? I'm not eating that. I want the white bread. <laughs> Give me the good stuff, right? If I have to die, I'm dying to eat some good stuff, right? They just they cleaned everything out. Two days' worth of ice. Now think about this just for a second as we think about our dependency and our need. Imagine if the grocery stores all shut down tomorrow. Imagine if all the restaurants shut down tomorrow. Imagine if you lost your job tomorrow. See, we we think we can do all these things on our own, but if we're honest with ourselves, we're awfully dependent on other people, and especially on the Lord. You think that you're powerful and you're able to accomplish and you're able to do whatever you want to do, don't eat for three days. That's why fasting for me is such an important part of our spiritual walk, because it reminds us of how weak we actually are. You think you're strong, it could accomplish anything, don't eat for three or four days. See how your body reacts. You'll be exhausted, you'll be shaky, you'll be hungry, you'll have headaches. You won't be functioning properly. Why? Because you're totally dependent on food. The Lord says we need to be praying, not for all these extravagant things in life, but for our needs. Lord, just give us our bread. Just give us our bread. See, here's, here's the truth of serving the Lord of God, the, the, the Lord of Lords Lord and the King of kings. It's something we don't always understand. It's not always something we acknowledge. But truthfully, if you have the Lord, you don't need anything else, do you? Because he's going to take care of you. He's going to provide for you. He's going to give you the things that you need. But the most difficult thing in our life, especially in the context in which we live, is finding contentment in him. Lord, I'm not asking for all this super nice stuff. I'm simply asking that you would provide for our needs. Give me the things I need to survive. Give me this day my daily bread. So, we acknowledge the Lord. We pray for his kingdom. We pray for his will. Finally, we get to ask for something, but it's the bare minimum. I just, I just think that model, I just, I, I, I don't want to keep going back to this, but it's just so important for me because we've, we've acknowledged all about who the Lord is. And the first time we get to ask for something, it's only that he'd provide our needs. Basic, simple needs to to survive. Now we're going to move past tangible into spiritual again. Verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This brings us to the fifth point, number five. We should pray for forgiveness of our sins or our debts. We need to pray for forgiveness of our sins. Now remember, we've just prayed in verse 11 for our daily bread, but it's interesting to me. If we're honest with ourselves and we're going to take a spiritual kind of eternal understanding and, and perspective on this thing, daily bread is useless to us if our sins haven't been forgiven, right? Because the scriptures are very clear, Mark 18, 36. What good is it for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? A.W. Pink again says it like this. Our daily, I just love this. Our daily bread only fattens us as lambs for the slaughter if our sins are not pardoned. I think that's right. If you're spending all your time praying for what you want to get and the things you need and you're never asking for forgiveness of your sins, I think you're missing the truth of this teaching. Now we would say that the Lord, when he died on the cross for our sins, forgave all of our sins. The blood of Calvary covered all those things. But even as followers of Jesus Christ, sinfulness in our life will separate us from Him. And you all know people, maybe you've experienced this, a believer who's a follower and wants to seek the Lord but allows sin to just creep in a little at a time. Little by little by little by little. And we get separated more and more and more and more from the things of Christ. And before we know it, we're walking down a path that we didn't want to walk down. Before we know it, we find ourselves in a place that we want to find ourselves in. And so Christ reminds us, you need to ask for the forgiveness of your sins. Don't let those sins take root in your life. Don't let them have a foothold. Don't let that mistake become a pattern and eventually become a part of life. Attack it when it happens. Recognize it. Pray for the forgiveness of your sins. Pray that the Lord would guide you and strengthen you and lead you away from this path of sinfulness and separation from Him toward His will. Lord, I want to do Your will. I want Your kingdom to come. I want Your kingdom to reign. I want to see Your holiness and I want to see Your glory. The only way I can do that is if I'm walking in Your path. And when I allow sin to creep into my life, it separates me from You. And it separates my walk from Your walk. Jesus died on the cross for our sins so we can walk with the Lord. But if we allow the sin to creep back in and we allow sin to overtake us and lead us astray, we're not going to be doing the things the Lord has called us to do. Now we need to finish. We're running out of time. Verse 13. Here's the final truth. Christ says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Here's the sixth truth. We need to pray for protection from temptation. We need to pray for protection from temptation. Now, in case you didn't realize this, we are surrounded by a world of temptation. I'm teaching my class on Wednesday nights, Biblical Manhood. It's a great study. We're reading through a book about what it means to be a biblical man. And the way we're doing it is we're reading different examples of right now Old Testament and then some New Testament characters. And we're trying to learn from these men how we ought to be men. But every week we end up discussing the idea of temptation on some level. For most men, it's the idea of lustfulness. And that's a whole other sermon topic, maybe even a whole other sermon series. But the Lord says we need to be careful of our sinfulness. We need to pray to be forgiven of that sinfulness. But we also need to pray that we don't fall into temptation. Because we're going to be surrounded by it. We're going to encounter it in our lives. We're going to have to deal with it on some way, some levels. We need to be prepared in our lives and in our hearts not to be tempted. So men, women, students, part of your prayer life ought to be, Lord, help me not to fall into temptation. I know I'm going to experience this next week. I know I'm going to have to deal with this. I know I'm going to see this picture. I know I'm going to talk to this person. I'm going to have this thought. I know these things are going to happen. Help me, Lord, when that happens, not to be tempted. And when it does, forgive me. And Lord, allow me to see your will and not my own. Allow your kingdom to reign in my heart. Allow me to see your glory so I can spread it to all those around. Be very careful of how we act and the things that we see. Now, we need to finish. So much. So much great stuff. Just a review. Christ tells us in our prayers we should acknowledge who he is. First, we should pray for his kingdom we should pray for His will. Once we've done those things, we pray for what we need. but even when we pray, it needs to be basic needs. We need to pray that He forgives us. We need to pray that we wouldn't fall in temptation. But here's the underlying truth and the foundation for all this that I want you to understand. When you spend time in prayer, you need to believe that the Lord's going to answer. You need to believe that the Lord's going to work. The Bible says you need to pray, and when you pray, you need to pray in faith, understanding that He can change your heart, that He can change your family, that He can change your community, that He can change your job, that He can change your marriage, whatever situation you're in. I want you to pray, and I want you to believe that He will work because the Lord, believe it or not, wants to turn your life and this church and your family and this community Upside down for his glory. But it's never going to happen if we don't pray. So let's pray together. Father, we acknowledge your glory and your holiness and your power and your mercy in our lives, Father. And we pray that you would guide us. We pray we'd be interested in knowing your will, Father. We pray we'd be interested in in your reign over the earth, Father. We pray that your glory would shine through us and your holiness would shine through us, Lord, as we are your hands and your feet. Father, I pray that you would sustain us. I pray that you would give us the things that we need. I pray that you would bless us in, in mighty and powerful ways. Father, I pray you'd forgive us of our sinfulness and all the mistakes that we've made, Father, even this morning. Even just a few moments ago, Father, maybe thoughts that we had or things that we said or actions that we took, forgive us of those sins, Father, and help us to stay free from temptation. Help us to focus on you. Help us to study your word, to spend time in prayer, to know what you've called us to do, and then the strength to be the men and women of God to do it for your honor and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you some time. Down here to pray, if you like, at the altar as you respond to the truth of the Word of God. You can accept Christ, repent of your sins, or you can join this church. You sing as we come together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.